Good morning. This is uh, the time in our worship where our kids are headed out for Children's Church. So if you've got uh, a little one headed that direction, you can send them that way. We've got the uh, cry room in the back as well, attended nursery over in the other building. So uh, if any of those options make sense for you, then you're welcome to, to make use of those. Uh, we are glad that everyone's here. Good to see you this morning and um, another uplifting time of, of worship together. And now, uh, if you're staying in here with us, it's going to be movie day. We're going to watch a movie, or at least part of one. We don't have time for the whole thing. So we're going we're gonna to watch the beginning of a movie, and, um, and yeah, see what we do next time. So here we go. watching closely. All right, that's it. That's all we have time for. So, movie, movie days ended, yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite beginnings of a movie. And, and so, uh, if you haven't seen that movie, yeah, the, the beginning of the movie doesn't make sense if you haven't seen it. But it's a great beginning to the movie, I think, because of, of what happens later, and I won't share the whole thing, but this is a, a storytelling device that we find in many movies of kind of setting the scene with a, a scene that either takes place in, in the past or the future, a flash forward or flash back, and it's a way of kind of establishing something about the story that's going to be told then over the course of the movie. And the thing that I loved about this, the beginning of The Prestige, is that it's, it completely doesn't make sense at the beginning of the, of the movie, and you may pick up on pieces of it as it goes through, but really, for me, at least watching it, it was at the end of the movie, and I was like, oh, like that's, that's what all those hats were back at the, at the beginning. Um, and so it's this great way of connecting everything that, that happens in the story. Uh, it's a prologue of sorts to what happens in the rest of, of the movie. Uh, so this morning... Uh, we're going to kind of envision that the, the sermon is uh, of sorts a telling of, of, a, of the movie of the book of Acts. And so our movie of the book of Acts has some catchy name like Acts or something like that. Um, anybody, did anybody else like me as a kid think that Acts was like the weirdest book of the Bible name? Anybody else think that or is that just a weird thing that I thought? Like you go to the New Testament, you have like names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then like Acts. It kind of was weird to me. Um, but anyways, so, so we're going to kind of envision today as sort of a, a movie. We're watching a movie about Acts. And so I envision that this, this movie about Acts starts way back in numbers with this prologue scene that may not seem to make sense at first, but it's going to help connect everything that happens. Uh, so we're going to start in Numbers 11 this morning. If you want to turn there with me, you can, or you can just listen along. Uh, so we've been in this series talking, thinking about water, and, and one of the things that we've seen repeatedly is how spirit and water have been connected. And when we see water as something transformative and redemptive and, and, and saving throughout Scripture, there's usually this connection of, of the spirit to that. And so we're going to pick up on this thread today, especially of, of the spirit, and it's going to come in contact with, with the idea of water later. But for right now, this particular story is just about spirit. And as I said, I want you to kind of envision this is the prologue to our story that we're going to find in Acts this morning. 
So Numbers 11. At the beginning of Numbers 11, uh, you'll see that it says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. And so God is, is now upset at his people because he's brought them out of slavery, but now they're just complaining because it's hot, um, and, and they're, just, they're, they're tired of all this wilderness wandering stuff. And so the people are, are complaining to God, and now God's angry, and then Moses gets frustrated because he's like thrust into the middle of all this. And so if you skip down there a little further, <laughs> Moses says to God, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you? Like this is punishment, Moses is basically seeing this. What have I done to displease you that you have put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? <laughs> In other words, I had nothing to do with all these idiots coming into the world. Why are you putting them all on me? Why do I have responsibility for all these people? He goes on, skip down to verse 14. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. Like, this, I'm done. Let's just, let's get this over with one way or another. Uh, so Moses is angry. God's angry. The people are angry. No one's happy. It's like the family that's been at the amusement park or the fair too long, right? And it's hot and no one's happy. And you're like, why, why did we do this to ourselves again? That's kind of the picture I have of, of what's going on here. So God's like, all right, fine. In verse 16, he tells Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. He says, I will come down and speak with you, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. He says, all right. So Moses goes about doing that. There's some other stuff about meat that's in here that we're not going to get into. That's the other kind of main storyline flowing through here about what they're going to eat. Uh, but Moses does this. And so you skip down to verse 24 then. He tells all the people about what God has said. And then it says, He brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around the tent, the tent of meeting. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joseph uh, not Joseph, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. All right, here's what seems to be Joshua's issue. Joshua thinks that, okay, if these two guys, we're, we're all out here. We're kind of the chosen ones, right? We're, we've been given the Spirit, and now we're prophesying. But if there's two guys back in camp that are still doing it, they're, they're trying to undermine Moses' authority in some way either because they've, they've chosen to stay back, they're not out here with the rest of us, or, or they're trying to rise up and rival against Moses. For some reason, Joshua seems to think this is, this is not good to have these guys doing it over there while we're doing it over here, um, so they must be trying to do something nefarious, right? Uh, so Moses, you've got to put a stop to this. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? 
I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Uh, so if this is our, our movie, our story of, of the book of Acts, I think this is the prologue. This is the story that would come at the beginning. You have this story and then it ends with Moses saying, I wish, I wish God's spirit would come on, on all people. And then that's when the, the screen would kind of fade to black. You've got the name of the movie up there, Acts. And the, then the scene comes back. It says about 1,400 years later. We've got this, this wide shot of Jerusalem now. And so we see Jerusalem, and then we zoom in on this one house in particular, and, and we go in through the window of this house, and, and we see a bunch of people gathered in this house. And, and as we hear the conversations and see their faces and, and get a, a feel of what's going on, we, we see that there's, there's confusion, there's anxiety, there's excitement, there's, there's a sense of, of newness. There's anger, there's anguish, there's hostility even. It's just a mix of, of a lot of different emotions and, and feelings and, and questions. Uh, because you see the, these people who are gathered in this house, these are the disciples of Jesus who have been left now after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so you can imagine the roller coaster that these ride, the, the, the roller coaster ride that these people have, have been on that they've gone through this crucifixion and now this resurrection. They've seen him ascend back into heaven. And, and Jesus has left them with the promise that they're going to be filled with, with the Spirit, that something's going to happen to them. But, but they've still really just got mostly questions about everything, really. And so just as we begin to get a sense for, for what's going on in this house and kind of the mood of this house, uh, we see the house begin to shake. And there's a violent wind that comes rushing through the house, so much so that like nothing is left in its place. Dishes are going everywhere, tablecloths are flying around, there's a chicken that comes flying across the screen, squawking loudly, at least that's how I imagine it. That's not actually in the text, but that's what I picture happening there. Like it's just chaos now. This wind comes rushing through the house, and it's so violent and so sudden and so isolated to this one location that people now from Jerusalem uh, come and start gathering outside this house to see what's going on. This is very strange. And so the people then from in the house start coming outside, and they begin talking to these people. And the crowd that's gathered realizes that even though they're from a bunch of different countries, they're all hearing these men speak in their own native languages. And so this is the point in the movie where you realize, like, there's, there's something really strange and supernatural and sci-fi like going on here right and I hope all my questions are answered by the end of the movie if I'm going to invest all my time in this movie right I'm going to need some answers <laughs> it's kind of what the people are thinking at this point We'd, like what is, what is going on here and so just as might happen if you're watching a movie with someone we all know that person who talks too much in the movie and tells you about their theories of the movie right uh, well so they're outside and theories start being shared about what's going on so some people are like, maybe this is happening, maybe this is happening. And finally, some people are just kind of joking about it, and they just, they're just starting to laugh it off. And they say, I think these guys are just drunk, <laughs> um, which is apparently what happens in this day. You can begin speaking multiple languages if you get drunk, um, at least what some people thought, I guess. And so all of that leads up then to Peter coming out and addressing the crowd. And this is how he addresses the crowd. This is in, if you want to follow along with us, we're going to be in Acts 2. Uh, all of the scriptures I'm going to read now are going to be on the screen. 
This is Acts 2, beginning in verse 14, where uh, Peter says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. I like to imagine that if Peter uh, had seen the prestige, he would have said in his best Christian Baal voice, Are you watching closely? Like, pay, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. Uh, so, listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, which is a great response to that. <laughs> um, like, what are you, it's just nine. Like, give us till lunchtime at least. <laughs> like, um, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And so you see that story in, in Numbers 11 is more than just a frustrated story of Moses just kind of going, I, I wish God would just give this to all of you so I don't have to be the only one to mess with it. Uh, it's the beginning of this picture that we see that, that ends up being told throughout Scripture of this looking ahead to a time when God will pour out his spirit on all people. Um, it's the thread that Joel then picks up on in his prophecy when he prophesies about uh, the Spirit of God being poured out on all people. It's the thread now that, that Peter is picking up at Pentecost when he says this, that you have heard about in our story. That's what is happening now. This time that, that our people have been looking forward to when, when God's Spirit would be poured out not only on one person as it was kind of in different times through the Old Testament, not on a select group of people like it is in Numbers 11, not even on just one nation of people as we saw times uh, in Israel's story in the past. This is a time that, that has been coming when God's Spirit would be poured out on all people. And so Peter now picks up that and carries this narrative forward. He keeps going and and then after talking about Jesus, he says this. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the, holy, uh, the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So in other words, this is the fulfillment of, of the promise that we have been waiting for. This is the hope of Moses. This is the prophecy of Joel. This is the, the promise of Jesus. This is, this is good news. This is the gospel story being told and, and poured out through us in, in real living time. And so naturally, the, the people's hearts and emotions are, are stirred, and they begin to say, man, okay, this is great. This is wonderful. Like, what do we do now? What are we supposed to do living in this new reality and knowing that all this has come about? What do we do? So Peter says, I'm glad you asked. And he doesn't say that literally, but actually he says these famous words in Acts 2.38, which if you're from certain traditions, these were ingrained on your, your mind and your heart very early on probably, right? Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
Now, like I said, if you're like me, you grew up hearing that verse repeated time and time and time again. And and if you were like me, maybe, uh, I remember this verse uh, vividly, at least the first part of it. (laughs) But it seemed like we kind of stopped after after, uh, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then we kind of stopped. Because the rest of it gets a little murky. (laughs) Uh, spirit language was something that was kind of foreign to me and to us growing up. What, is, what does that mean? I'm going to receive the gift of, of the Spirit. And so we're going to come back. I don't want to discount the forgiveness part of it. We're going to come back to that next week. So don't think I'm forgetting that aspect of it. That's going to be next week. But we've, we've been in this thread of kind of the Spirit, and so we're going to continue that this morning. Um, because that seems to be really the point that Peter is driving to here. This idea that this is the fulfillment of the promise for God to pour out his spirit on all people. And now you can participate in that through the waters of baptism. What an amazing opportunity this is uh, for for people, for us. Baptism here is pictured as a participation in the fulfillment of God's promise to pour out his spirit on all people. And this promise is something that, that Jesus himself spoke of back at the beginning of Acts. This is uh, in part of his final dialogue to his disciples. Again, when the disciples would have all kinds of questions, uh, right? Like at the end of this, even uh, Luke makes it seem at the beginning of Acts that Jesus says what we're about to read, and then he ends up going back up into heaven, and then the apostles, the disciples, are just kind of watching, staring up into the sky. <laughs> because, like, what do you do after a guy tells you something and then just ascends back up into the sky, except watch and be like, okay. What happens now, right? <laughs> we, we don't really know what to do. Uh, so an angel comes to talk to them, and all this stuff happens. But anyways, this is what Jesus says to them as part of his kind of final words to them. He says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. This is what, so um, Kelsey read the scripture at the beginning, right? That, that, he, he, that you are going to receive this gift I'm going to forget exactly what he said, so I'm going to go back and read it. This is John 7 that that Kelsey read at the beginning. It's not up here, Jamie, but um, where Jesus says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So this is what Jesus has been talking about. It's what he's been telling the disciples about. So now we get to the end, and he says, This is what I've been telling you about. All this that we've been leading to, this this is what it's about. Uh, You've heard me speak about this. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, when John uh, goes about preparing the way for Jesus, preparing the way for the Messiah, he's out in the wilderness baptizing people, but his baptism was a baptism for forgiveness of sins. It did not include the gift of the Spirit, because as Jesus says there, it hadn't been poured out yet. Uh, The only time one of John's baptism includes the Spirit is when he baptizes Jesus. So this is a thread, again, that we've been kind of, as I said it a couple weeks ago, touching down on each week on this kind of baptism of Jesus. And so this is what it says in Luke 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. 
And so Jesus' baptism then points us towards the baptism that Peter describes in Acts 2. Uh, Peter calls his audience at Pentecost, and I think us today, to this bigger and clearer vision and picture of baptism. Baptism is no longer simply something to be done to be forgiven of sins. It is that, but it is more than that. It's a participation in the pouring out of God's Spirit on all flesh. It's a recognition of God's promise to give of Himself. It's a reminder of Jesus' incarnational ministry and His joining us in the waters of baptism. And it's an invitation to live a life of conviction and Spirit-led discipline and focus. Uh, So both the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts are written by Luke, written by the same guy. It's basically kind of volume one and and volume two, if you will, of of the gospel story. One in the person of Jesus and then one in the the spirit of of Jesus, if you will, or the spirit of God as it works through the lives then of of the early Christians in Acts. And uh, the terms for baptism appear more in Luke and Acts than in all of the rest of the New Testament. It's an important theme that that Luke continues through both of his books. Uh, So too is uh, the the Spirit, that there are 55 direct references to the Holy Spirit just in Acts. And that works out to roughly about two references per chapter. Uh, So this is an important theme. These are important elements to what Luke has in mind. And both of these, baptism and the Spirit, are seen as, as driving forces that really propel the the gospel narrative. They propel the the movement of the church, the expanding of the kingdom, and they are vital in the lives of the early Christians as they go about trying to understand what this means to live as disciples of Jesus. Uh, And you can see this throughout Luke's writing. So again, going back to the, the baptism of Jesus. It is no surprise then, I think, that, that in the Gospel of Luke, it is, bapti- it is Jesus' baptism that is kind of envisioned as the beginning of his ministry. That after he's baptized, Luke says this. This is right after Jesus' baptism. It says, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. In other words, in other words like this is the starting point. He's baptized, the Spirit has descended on him and and anointed him for this ministry, and now he goes out uh, and begins his his kind of what we would call official, if you want to say that, ministry. So then as he goes into this ministry, Luke kind of begins to tell some of the, the genealogy, and then at the beginning of the next chapter, he says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And so we see, again, this close connection of of Jesus' baptism and and the Spirit working together and this close relationship between the two of those. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, then, there's this close relationship um, continually to baptism and the receiving of the Spirit. Sometimes the order is a little different. There's various reasons for that. uh, But they're always in close relationship to one another, these ideas of, of being baptized, receiving this gift of baptism, and, and having the gift of the Spirit. Jesus' baptism was seen as ascending, as a filling, a beginning, an anointing, an affirmation, all of which are words that I think can also describe baptism for us. 
that no longer is baptism only something to be done to receive forgiveness, but it now includes the gift of God's Spirit. And while Jesus' baptism carried with it no forgiveness of sins, it points us towards the ways in which baptism is to serve as a transformative and pivotal point in the life of a believer. The restoration of God's people and the pouring out of His Spirit flow together in the waters of baptism. Uh, So as I said, next week we're going to come back to this idea of of forgiveness and redemption that we find in baptism. Um, But but I wanted, again, to kind of spend some time thinking about the Spirit and its connection to baptism today because of where we've been going kind of in this thread leading up to here and also because um, I think, uh, as I said, at least for me, if we only hold this idea of of baptism as forgiveness of sins and don't hold that in in connection with the receiving of the gift of the Spirit, we really miss some powerful stuff about baptism. Um, And and I think, I I think in some ways, maybe maybe your faith background didn't didn't do this, Uh, but I think in some ways and in some of our faith backgrounds, we've kind of pictured baptism as this kind of single event, this one-time event, almost like this ticket-punching type moment where I do this, now my sins are forgiven, now I can get into heaven, and I'm done. Like, I made it. (laughs) Um, And I think the irony of that is in placing so much emphasis on that element of baptism and so much emphasis on getting people baptized that we miss out on this transformative power and this this amazing impact that baptism is supposed to have on the life of a believer going forward. Uh, This is something that's supposed to be something that empowers and equips us for a life of discipleship. And and we miss that if we miss this idea of the gift of the Spirit that runs alongside the forgiveness of sins in the waters of baptism. Um, I remember when, when Isley was in kindergarten, uh, so here in, in Temple, they start school on a Wednesday, which we have appreciated because it gives a nice, short first week. <laughs> when she started kindergarten, they started on a Monday. And so Isley went from, like, you know, completely her own flexible schedule all the time to school at, I think, 7.30 like they started at, some ungodly hour like that, right? And then went to, like, 3.30. So she goes then Monday, she's 7.30 to 3.30. So she's Monday to Friday, she's there at school, um, and so she's doing okay, and we get to Saturday, and Isley's like, all right, kindergarten was cool, what now? <laughs> uh, and we realized, like, Isley had been to a bunch of day camps and stuff, and she had done, like, VBS and things like that, and they were all, like, these one-week engagements, so you go to this, and it's a week, and I'm like, all right, cool, that was fun. <laughs> My day off Monday's gonna be great. So we get to Saturday, she's like, cool, yeah, kindergarten was fun. And we're like, oh, wait, this is... <laughs> Let's sit down. We need to talk about something. This is life now for 18 years. (laughs) Um, And so I think if we see baptism as this, like, only as this kind of ticket-punching moment, it can kind of become this moment where, like, we do it, and we come up out of the water, it's like, all right, cool, that was fun. Like, all right, I made it, I'm in. (laughs) What now? It's like, oh, no, wait, 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 sit down. We need to talk about something. Uh, baptism is this beginning of, of, of this journey with Christ where we are now empowered with his spirit. We have his spirit within us to go about this life of, of discipleship. Uh, even Jesus, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, says, I want you to go and baptize people, right? 
Except that's not what he said. He said, I want you to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the goal as they go about spreading the news of Jesus is to make disciples. It's not to baptize people. Um, and that's an important distinction because I will still say baptism is an important part of that. It's an aspect of that. But it's not the end goal. The end goal is discipleship. And that baptism is, is this crucial moment on the road to discipleship. It's, a, it's an incredibly powerful and transformative and pivotal and crucial part of that. But the goal always is discipleship and moving closer to Jesus. Um, and and I, I think when we have that picture of baptism, I don't think it takes anything away from baptism. I think it adds to the richness of it. Uh, that baptism is seen as many things in Scripture. Um, it, is, it is seen as something that is transformative, as something that is redemptive, uh, as something that is this granting of new life. It is a, a death to our old self and a rising to, to live this new life in Christ. It is all of these things. It is, it is not contained to any one single image. And so I hope and pray that we have this, this picture of the beautiful tapestry that is told in the waters of baptism and the impact that that has on us in the life of us as believers. Not just for something that happens to us one time and it's something that happened and that was in my past and, and now I'm kind of forgiven and I can, I'm, I'm going on with my life. But it's this, this aspect of, of living waters that are now flowing through us, through God's Spirit, uh, that are transforming us, uh, that are, are recreating in us life in Christ. Something that's calling us to a deeper life of, of devotion uh, to Jesus uh, and a deeper life of, of conviction in Him. When we turn baptism then into this kind of singular event, or when we turn it into our goal of witnessing Christ to others, we rob it, we rob it I think, of its transformative and spirit-filled nature and strip it of its importance to the path of discipleship. And so I hope that we are people uh, who are incredibly appreciative of this gift that we have received of God's Spirit living within us. This was revolution, revolutionary, revolutionary news to the people that Peter is talking to. That they would have known this prologue to the story told in Moses. They would have known this prophecy in Joel, uh, even the prophet, similar prophecies in Isaiah. They know all this. They've been looking toward all this. And maybe like me at the end of the movie, The Prestige, where I'm like, oh yeah, that's what all those hats were about. I kind of picture Peter being like, oh yeah, that's what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the Spirit. He was talking about all these things that now it all makes sense. And these stories that seem disconnected and this teaching that I didn't really understand, now it's all coming together and I realize this is what God was wanting to do, that God is now making his home within us as people, that his presence in, in this world is not confined to a temple or to a place, that God has chosen to make his dwelling within us and to have his spirit reside within us. Uh, that's an amazing thing. And it's something that is seen as part of this idea of putting on Christ in the waters of baptism and rising to live this new life empowered and equipped and transformed by the Spirit of God that is now dwelling within us. Uh, so we're going to sing this morning now uh, and continue to think about this new life that begins for us in Jesus.
Uh, and as we do so, we're going to think about our invitation to the table and to this new life that we have because of the life, the death, and the burial of Jesus. Uh, and as we share in communion, communion this morning, I would invite you to reflect back onto your baptism, if you are someone who has been baptized, and, and how did that uh, begin, uh, and, and what role did that play in, in your journey toward discipleship and toward Jesus? Uh, or maybe you are someone who has not been baptized, and you've been considering that or thinking about that, and, and maybe thinking about what is, where, where am I, and, and do, is this something I want to, to do for myself, to be immersed into this story of Christ and this, this power of the Spirit that flows through the waters of baptism. Uh, wherever you are in that this morning, I invite you to consider those things as we stand and sing, uh, and then as we share in communion together. So let's stand, uh, sing, and then we'll pray our prayer of confession as we gather around the table.
together and I'll pray the parts in white and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest path, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated. 